Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy this sermon podcast. Greetings, everyone. I'm Derek Lewandowski, co-lead pastor at Redeeming Hope in Clarksville, Tennessee. Welcome to our online stream and happy Mother's Day to everyone, moms and grandmoms. I hope you have a really blessed day today. Kids, make sure you treat them right. Bless them today. Um, Today, I'm actually recording from my house on the other side of Clarksville from where we normally record at Pastor Josh's house because Pastor Josh and his wife, Rachel, are out of town. And so I get to record right here from the comfort of my home, which is you can't see it, but it's right next to the Cumberland River here and uh, where my son, Jack, catches all those catfish. That's why we've nicknamed him Catfish Jack. So before I get into the word today, um, just a few things by way of vision and announcement. As far as vision goes, we exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. And three things I want to point out in that, three parts of our vision, family, faith, and finding. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. And so the first thing Jesus does is he introduces into our entire relationship with God, the whole picture of a father and of a family. Jesus used family language. The gospel uses family language a lot. So that's not a new idea. We didn't invent that idea, but we want to implement that idea as we relate to one another here in our church to relate to one another as family and to love one another as family. The second part of it is faith. We believe that the the center of the gospel is salvation by grace through faith. So putting faith in Christ, encouraging one another in our faith in Christ, encouraging one another in the object of our faith, that it's not faith in faith, but it's faith in Jesus Christ, the one in whom we trust. He is the one we gather around for fellowship. He's the basis of our fellowship. He's the basis and the foundation uh, of the church and of our salvation. And we continually remind one another of the gospel and our faith in the Lord Jesus. And finally, uh, finding. We, we, we help others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. And, you know, I've heard it said that if you uh, took missions out of the Bible, uh, all you'd have left are the covers. Because the Bible is a story of the missionary heart of God, God reaching out to lost mankind through his son Jesus eventually. And so as we follow Jesus, we take on his missionary heart for our own community and our culture. And so these things motivate us, these things drive us. That's, that's a, a big part in, of, of how to understand our vision at Redeeming Hope, family, faith in Christ, and helping others to find him. A few announcements. On May 21st, we're going to have our next Hope Youth, uh, which is for uh, middle school to high school uh, students. This time, they're going to be gathering at the Buddha's home. And uh, we'll give you more information on that if you're interested in being involved. But it's on May 21st at 6 p.m. at the Buddha's. Also, if you'd like to give toward the work here at Redeeming Hope, uh, we'd encourage you to do that. We're thankful that you do that. Uh, you can get online at redeeminghope.org backslash, backslash give and see more information about that. Okay, with that, uh, I'm going to get into a message today. Um, it's not related to a series. It's just uh, what we call a one-off. 
Uh, it's just a single message that was on my heart to share with the church. And it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And the title of today's message is Grace Conversions. Grace Conversions. And you'll understand what I mean by that as we continue. So this past year has been pretty intense for me since we moved to Clarksville, Tennessee. Moving alone, you know, is, uh, is a major life event. And then getting here in the fall, um, I had a bout with shingles. It got into my ear canal. It got into my facial nerve. I got Bell's palsy. And then just a couple weeks ago, a lot of you know, I had major surgery uh, on my uh, colon and I'm still in recovery from that. So it's been a, it's been a year of, uh, of weakness for me. It's been a year of, of just having to really lean on God and trust in the Lord for some, some big things in my life and in my family. And through all of that, the Lord has brought me back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, a lot. And what he teaches Paul here in this passage. What's interesting about the timing of this is uh, this passage was already on my heart when I knew I'd be sharing this week a single message, sort of a just, you know, let the, the Spirit kind of guide my heart into what he wanted me to share in this one kind of single in-between series type message. Uh, it was on, like I said, it was on uh, 2 Corinthians 1. And what was interesting about the timing of that is when I looked at the Bible reading plan this week, guess where we're at? 2 Corinthians 1 through 7. So I love how the Lord lines things up like that sometimes. So listen as I share and read this text here from Paul that he writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 8. I'm reading out of the ESV. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, for we were utterly, so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. And at the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Father, we look to you to give us grace to hear what the Spirit says to the church, hear what you are saying through your word today. So give grace to the hearer, give grace to the speaker. We're all weak and we need grace, we need Jesus. Ask your blessing on this time in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul begins this text that I read by saying, I don't want you to be unaware brothers. And that's, that's a, a plural Greek word called Adelphoi, translated brothers, and it, but it actually refers to siblings. So it refers to uh, brothers and sisters, and, you know, by extension. Um, and it's, it's really interesting to start with that observation because what we see here is that Paul, again, to, to reiterate the theme I was talking about a moment ago from our church vision, is relating to the church in Corinth as family. And if you remember, Paul was single and the church, God's people, was really the only real family that he had. And you know that we talk a lot about uh, church as family here at Redeeming Hope. And it's verses like this that remind us that this is how God wants us to relate to one another. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. God wants us to be known by our church family. He wants us to be able to say to our church family, I don't want you to be unaware of what I'm going through. I don't want you to be ignorant of what's happening in my life. 
It's a good example and model for all of us, not only to treat one another as family, but also to be willing to open up our lives and our stories and and share what's going on and welcome our brothers and sisters into that. Now, Paul mentions this affliction that he had in Asia. Let's take a look at the affliction. It's, it's unclear in the text what exactly it is. Um, and, you know, there's some commentary writers and, you know, different um, theologians who sort of guess at what it was. It may have had to do with the persecution he received. But let's just look at how he described the affliction. Here's what he says. We were utterly burdened beyond our strength. We despaired of life and we'd received the sentence of death. Wow, whatever is going on is traumatic and it's really, really bad. It we're utterly burdened beyond our strength. In other words, we couldn't bear it anymore. We couldn't, we couldn't take the weight of it, of it anymore. It knocked us to the ground. He said, we despaired of life. Now, that's not suicidal. Paul wasn't suicidal, but it was a sense that, you know what? This is so bad. It would be better if we were just with Jesus right now than to live on in these circumstances. Have you ever been there? I have, and uh, I'm going to share a little bit of my story a little later in the message. Um, you know, my grace story, my grace conversion. But this is where Paul was. He said, we despaired of life. And then he says, we'd received the sentence of death. In other words, it had gotten so bad that it didn't look like there was going to be any other outcome except defeat. The jury was back in, the sentence was handed down, and the verdict was death. So this is really bad, whatever he's going through. He's being pressed down, smashed down in a way. Now, first of all, it's not unusual that God's children find themselves right here in this type of a situation. And because we see that Paul the Apostle, who was doing the will of God, starting churches, preaching the gospel as a missionary to the uh, Gentile, you know, non-Jewish world, if Paul could go through something like this, We shouldn't be surprised if we do. And not only that, we shouldn't feel condemned if we do. I think sometimes we go through hard things. We think, well, God is against me. God's punishing me. This is my fault. Or I lack faith. The fact that Paul was going through this means it's the normal Christian experience for Christians to go through pain and suffering at times and trials and chapters of life that are difficult. And it also doesn't indicate a lack of faith. It doesn't mean that you've, you know, you're failing in walking with Jesus if you end up in a situation like this. God and his sovereign providence sometimes allows this. And so it begs the second question as we look at this, why? And especially when you look at Paul, why would God allow this in the life of one of his choicest servants? And it's not the first time that God has allowed his best to go through very difficult situations in dark times. If you look at Joseph or Job or Paul here in 2 Corinthians, you might say, if this is how God treats his friends, I hate to see how God treats his enemies. I mean, Joseph and all that he went through, betrayed by his brothers, you know, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, uh, betrayed, framed for rape by Potiphar's wife, forgotten in the prison, uh, you know, in, in, in Egypt. And yet God was in all of it. God redeemed all of it. And by the way, we're, we're going to begin a series on the life of Joseph uh, in uh, just about a month or a little less than a month. I'm excited about that. So, When we ask the question why, I think we actually see the answer right here in this very text of Scripture. So let's look at the the reasons for why that Paul gives in this text as to why he went through this brutal, brutal trial. 
The first thing he says is in verse 9. He says, We felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us to rely on God and not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So the first reason that, that Paul went through this trial was to rely on God and not himself. And I don't think we realize how deep the instinct is to not do that. How deep the instinct is to rely on ourselves. The instinct we have toward self-salvation. You know, we love the grace of God. If you attend Redeeming Hope and if you have attended any of our messages, you know, since the beginning of the church, and, you know, or in the series on Ephesians that we've been going through, you know we love the gospel and we are, we're constantly encouraging one another in the gospel of God's grace, the good news of God's grace. We encourage one another in groups. Just last night my group was gathering at my home and we're encouraging one another in the grace of God. We love the grace of God and yet, and yet we drift and we leak, you know. Uh, Ephesians 5, I'll jump ahead a chapter, Paul says, be filled with the spirit. Now, why would he say that? Because we leak. You know, we, we have this experience of grace, this experience of, of, of just seeing the glory and the beauty and the sufficiency of Jesus and his spirit at work in us. And then we, we walk away from it. And uh, I think it was James who says, it's like looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like. Well, here an apostle we see needed to be reminded to rely on God and not himself. So God was reminding him, even though Paul, you know, saw the third heaven and wrote half of the New Testament, God was reminding Paul that he still needed to trust him like a nursing child. Paul was having a grace conversion. He was being brought back to or deeper in the grace of God. Now, what is a grace conversion? It's the title of the message. I should probably define it. Here's my best shot at it. A grace conversion is an experience where your heart shifts from self-salvation to seeing more fully salvation by grace. It's moving from self-sufficiency to God's sufficiency. And the effects of that are the peace of God, the life of God, the joy of God that surpasses circumstances and understanding. Our, our hearts finally rest and our hearts finally say, Jesus is enough. And you better believe if an apostle needed this classroom, we also God will take us into this classroom as well. So that's the first thing Paul says is, uh, I was being reminded to rely on God and not myself. And the second thing he says is in verse 11, he says, you also must help by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And uh, by way of uh, personal observation to this, you know, as I just went through major surgery, I was, I was really struggling with like a lot of anxiety and almost like a spirit of heaviness as I was approaching the weeks before the surgery. And I prayed and asked the Lord for wisdom for, you know, how I ought to sort of war against that. And he, he reminded me again of this text of scripture and how Paul made known his trial so that glory would be given to God and gratitude would be given to God by many at the end of the trial for their deliverance. And so the Lord encouraged me to do the same. And uh, so I reached out to friends. I reached out, you know, on social media to, you know, some of my social media friends that are all over the world now. And, and I'm just so encouraged by their prayers and by their uh, encouragements that they sent. And, and I saw this 
this idea come to life in my life as I walked through this time of surgery, as I felt the grace of God and the peace of God. I felt an uptick in those things. And I felt the life of the spirit uh, through that whole experience. And I believe it was because I had to swallow my pride and, and put my tendency to be private about those things aside and say, no, no, this is an opportunity for many to rejoice at the goodness of God as God answers prayer in my life. And so God was showing Paul this again in, in this whole trial that he needed his family in Christ. You might say that, again, though Paul saw the third heaven and uh, wrote half the New Testament, he still needed even what he might have considered the weakest member of the body of Christ. He still needed those he might consider to be brother boring and sister ordinary. He needed them. Or the body, the I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. See, what we understand as we read scripture and how God has constructed his church and put his church together is that God's people are a means of grace. We, we ask God for grace. Sometimes we ask God for ministry and life and, you know, help. And guess what he does? Often, often, most often, God sends a person in answer to a cry for mercy, for a cry for grace. Uh, one of the most vivid places I think we see this is in Exodus when Moses encounters God at the burning bush. God says, I've heard the cry of my people in Israel for deliverance. And you know, I, I can almost picture Moses like, yeah, okay, yeah, what are you going to do about it? And God says, therefore, I'm sending you. I made my finger really big in the, in the screen there. You. I'm sending you. You, you, see the, you see the connection? I've heard their cry. I've come down to deliver them. And I'm sending you. So Moses was a means of grace for the people of Israel in their cry of distress. And that's how the church works. We cry out to the Lord and many times we see Jesus in one another. We see the life of God come to us through the vessel of another person. Now, th that is actually a pretty radical idea in the age we live in because we live in an age of radical individualism where self is sovereign. And I mean, if you look on social media, you know, all the time you will see people encouraging, you know, others to kind of pick yourself up and believe in yourself and you can do it. And I guess that's a form of encouragement. I'm not, that's not all bad, but, but much of it is Christless. And, and it's, it's, it encourages us to put faith in ourselves ultimately. And that's not good. That's not good. Because we're called to have faith in Christ. We're called, back to point one, to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. So along comes my brother or sister in Christ when I'm suffering, when I'm in pain, when I'm in a trial, and they become a means of grace to remind me of the love of God, to remind me of the power of God, of the sovereignty of God. And yet in an age of radical individualism where self is sovereign, we are oftentimes, um, we push back against that idea. I'm complete in myself. I don't need anything from anyone. And, and there's a, a good sense of not fearing man and not being a man pleaser and not needing to complete yourself with the opinions of others and all that. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about seeing God's people the way that God calls us to see them as this almost this interdependency where, yes, I have my own relationship with Christ. And yet at the same time, Christ is in his people and ministers to me through his people as I walk in a culture of family with God's people. They become a means of grace to me. 
We live in an age where massive numbers of people reject the organized church. And I know many people who have been hurt by the church, but I also know scores of people who have been blessed by the church. And remember, the wrong thing never negates the right thing. In spite of the sentiment toward the organized church and culture today, and, and I'm not saying that there's not a, a lot of bad eggs, right? And a lot of bad expressions of what is called Christianity today. But the wrong thing doesn't negate the right thing. In spite of all that and the sentiment that's in culture, God welcomes us into a family. God welcomes us to one another. I mean, Jesus is called our older brother. God is called our father. You know, um, we're also called the bride of Christ. There's another family picture. We're called the children of God. I mean, it's all over the scriptures. So remember, Jesus said, I will build my church in Matthew 16. I will build my church. He didn't say, I will make Paul uh, feel really comfortable. Or I will save Paul. Now, he will save Paul. But ultimately, Jesus' vision for Paul is that he would be part of God's people, that ultimately Paul was called to what we're all called to as God's people, to be part of the church. That is Christ's vision for Paul, is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be made part of God's people, and to be made more like Christ so he can minister to God's people. Now, now maybe you're going, wait a second. Are you telling me that Paul didn't know these things? Paul didn't know that he needed to rely on God. I mean, this is the apostle of grace. Paul didn't know he needed, you know, the body of Christ. He's the guy who established churches. You tell me he didn't know these things? Well, he did. He knew them and yet didn't know them. So what are we saying here? We've talked about this before. What kind of learning is this? If he's learning something, he already knows. It's a deeper learning. It's a deeper understanding. I, th I do think intellectually a deeper understanding, but it's also an experiential learning. The things he's known are sinking in deeper. And we've all experienced this. I mean, on my wedding day, I experienced it. I knew intellectually that I was going to marry Heidi Jo Reynolds. And yet when the day came and the doors opened and she stepped into the room in that white gown, my heart really knew that I was going to marry Heidi Jo Reynolds and she was going to become my wife, Heidi Jo Levendusky. Same thing happened in a, in a dark way when I found out that my uncle passed away and I went to his funeral and somehow just seeing him laying there lifeless it just, the reality of that just stuck. Just, wow, he's really gone, right? He's, he's really gone. So I, I already knew that he was gone, but then when I saw it and I went to the funeral service, it's like my heart and the, the emotions of that whole thing just hit me in a way that it hadn't before. And so we see how we, we need to know what we know. We need to grow in our understanding of God and his love and gospel and grace and, and God's people those are all things we need to grow in our understanding. And that's a grace conversion. That's what Paul was going through here in 2 Corinthians 8. Now, before my grace conversion, which I would say really happened in a radical way in 2001, even though there's many little grace conversions, right? But before my grace conversion in 2001, when I really was struggling a lot with legalism, which is just rule-based Christianity, I would have said amen to a message on grace like this, and I might have even been able to teach it. But God smashed me in a trial to show me similar things to what he was showing Paul here. So I wanted to spend the rest of my time in this message just sharing my personal testimony so you might get to know my journey with Christ a little more, my story of grace.
as I mentioned, I, I was very much stuck in legalism. I was in ministry and I would have considered myself a, uh, a champion and by the year 2000. I would have considered myself a champion of spiritual disciplines. You know, I, I was reading the Bible through in a year. I was uh, having a quiet time with God every day. I was fasting once a week. I was giving my tithe, my 10% to the church. I was, you know, doing evangelism. I was telling, I had a personal kind of policy rule for myself that I had to tell at least one person about Christ every day. And so that's the life I lived. And yet it felt like the harder I worked, the farther I got from God. And so by the end of the year 2000, I found myself in a time of spiritual burnout and I started to show the signs of depression. And I thought, well, I'll just press through this. You know, I've been kind of in this place before. I'll, I'll press through it. It's probably just the winter blues. And, you know, maybe when I get into the new year and get back in the saddle, you know, I'll, I'll start feeling better again. But this, this time, it wouldn't work that way. By early 2001, I found myself, it was almost like, I describe it like I was in a spiritual car crash. It was like my soul was fractured where the burnout and depression just increased in intensity until it became severe depression and uh, terrible anxiety disorder. And uh, I was, began to have panic attacks every day. I, um, I began to struggle just to function in very basic things in ministry, you know, at the time I was in traveling ministry, we had an office in Northern New York and I would go in and sit at my desk and I would just, I would just shake and not be able to focus. And um, I tried a few days and I just had to go home. And I met with, you know, the pastoral team that was at the church that I was at at the time. And they encouraged me, they prayed for me. They encouraged me to maybe take some time off. I went to see my family doctor. He diagnosed me with depression, gave me some pills. I remember he gave me these pills called Paxil, and, and I, I went home and I sat down on my couch next to my wife, and I said, how did I end up here? I'm not supposed to end up here, I'm Mr. Faith. I seek God, I, you know, I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and how, how, how did I end up here? Now I preface this part of the story by saying, if you've gone through depression or anxiety, and you do take uh, those type of uh, you know, antidepressants or, or you know, medicines uh, to, to help you with that, I have no uh, condemnation or problem at all with that. Um, so don't hear that in what I'm about to say. For me though, I, I took the pills and I threw them away uh, because uh, I, I just wanted to walk through this thing with organic feelings. I guess I kind of determined I would rather feel organically horrible than synthetically good because I want to know if I'm actually getting better. And, and quite honestly, some of it was probably pride too. That I, through my great faith, can, can achieve my own healing. And so uh, I just began to sort of, you know, uptick my spiritual disciplines because that's what I thought I needed to do. I was already, you know, spiritually disciplined. And maybe this is God's way of, of just, you know, getting me to be more uh, committed to spiritual devotion and discipline. So I, more Bible reading, more prayer, um, you know, more uh, fasting, you know, more just trying to get a hold of God and to, to get a hold of my healing. And yet it went on and on and on and day after day. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd go, oh no, another day. And there'd be times when I, I would just get so emotional, so broken. And, and I wouldn't want my kids to see me like that at the time. I, you know, this is like what, 2001. So Grace was three, you know, Joy was one. 
And uh, I'd go upstairs and shut the door of my bedroom and I'd put my face in my pillow and I'd clench my teeth and I'd say, God, where are you? It was, it was a very intense and traumatic time. I was, I was afraid that I was losing my mind. I was afraid I was going crazy. I was afraid I was going to, you know, end up, um, you know, not only out of ministry, but, you know, in, in, a, in a mental institution. I, I just felt like I'd, I'd lost control of my emotions. And to some degree, uh, I, I felt like I was losing my mind. I, I, I didn't know what was going on inside of me. And so I, I got so desperate uh, in July of 2001, I heard somebody say, when it comes to fasting, three days for deliverance and uh, no, three days for revelation, 21 days for deliverance. It was something like that. Anyway, the number 21 kind of stuck out at me and I'm like, good enough for me. So I went on a 21 day fast. Uh, I think I still had some juice and water, but I didn't eat any food for 21 days. Right now, I weigh about 170. I got down to about 125. So I got really skinny. And if you saw me, people saw my, you know, the, my eyes sunken in and the, you know, the rings under my eyes and how skinny I was. And people didn't know what to make of me. I, I didn't know what to make of me, but I was going to try to get a hold of my healing. And, and yet by day, I think I was on day 20 of that fast, I found myself no closer to my healing than when I'd started. I was mad at God. I was so frustrated and I just began to pour out my bitter complaint to the Lord. I remember I was, I was just sitting in my recliner in an empty house alone. And I said, uh, I said, God, I, you know what? I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done praying. It's not working. I'm done with the fast. I'm done, you know, with the, the Bible reading. I'm done with the spiritual warfare. I'm done trying to, trying to fix myself. And it was almost like the Lord said to my heart, you're done. You sure? Yeah, I'm done. Good. What do you mean good? I'm having this conversation with the Lord. Because now you only have one hope left. I'm like, one. yeah, well, what's that? I was mad. He said, you have me. And I'm like, you? What do you think I've been trying for the last seven to eight months? You know, I've prayed and I've fasted and I've, I, 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 I. And it was like, oh, and it just occurred to me, maybe God will heal me, not in, because of my works and my striving, maybe he'll heal me in spite of me, just because he's merciful and good. And I don't, I don't know how he does it. And I'm not suggesting that I was instantly healed in a moment, but it certainly began a journey toward healing for me when this strange peace came over me that this thing's in the hands of God and that it's out of my hands. And that was just a really freeing place to be based on how much work I had done to exhaustion to try to fix myself. And I remember I, my Bible was just sitting next to my recliner on this little TV stand. I grabbed my Bible and I just flipped it open. You know, you ever do like the, the point trick? Flipped it open and I, my eyes fell on Colossians 2.10, which says, you are complete in Christ. Whoa. I'm like, wait a second. I've been trying to complete myself for eight months. I've been working toward my completion. I felt like a very incomplete person. And the Bible was telling me I'm complete right now. It's like, oh, that's faith. Faith gives you a different reality 
a spiritual reality in Christ that might be very, you know, vastly different than your circumstances or how you feel. And that's, that's how it hit me. Oh, maybe I'm complete in Christ right now. And I, I just began to kind of flip from there through, you know, the writings of Paul and the epistles. And it's just like vroom, the word grace just started to glitter off those pages. You know, I saw grace, grace. And I, I just began to think, wait, grace. I'm not sure I get this idea. I don't think I emphasize grace. I don't think it, I don't think it's the headline of my life, the way it seems to be the headline in the New Testament. And, you know, I mean, for me, no offense uh, toward girls here, but I named my daughter Grace, not my son, right? So Grace was a, a feminine word to me, not a masculine word. And yet in the scriptures, it was like every, it had teeth and muscle and backbone and power. And yet it, it, it didn't for me. And again, not that a girl can't have teeth in mind. I mean, you know, my daughters wrestle, right? So, but I'm just telling you just my, my mentality as to how I approach grace. It, I saw in some ways it was, it, was not a, it was not a strong concept to me. So I began to study Galatians 5 and Romans 8 for a year, line by line, word by word. I wanted to understand. I, I, I kind of dispensed with just temporarily my sort of Bible reading plan. And those are all good. We do that here at Redeeming Hope. But I just was so hungry for the grace of God. I just began to just approach the word as I, I would call it desire dri a desire-driven approach, a delight-driven approach. What am I hungry for? That's what I'm going to eat. And I was hungry to understand the grace of God. And as I studied those texts of scripture, the way I describe it, it's like, you ever see a sky after a moonless night, a, you know, a black night sky, suddenly get hues of pink and orange when the sun isn't even up yet, but it's sort of almost up? And you can tell that the morning is coming. That began to happen with me in my soul. It's like the sky of my heart began to turn like pink and orange. And, and my sun began to rise. A new day came in my life and everything looked, it was the same, but everything looked different. Because I began to see it through the lens of grace. I began to see it through the lens of the gospel. And it became everything to me. It became my obsession. I began to understand what Paul meant when he said to this church in Corinth, I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything else is secondary. You know, I mean, up until that point, a lot of our ministry was about, you know, uh, international missions work and, and, and evangelism and, and, and prayer and revival and all those things are good. But in, in a sense, those things are just fruits. They're fruits of grace. They're fruits of the life of the Spirit that works through us and in us as we grasp grace. And so I like to say uh, I wasn't restored. I was transformed into something entirely new. And from that day to this, I've never lost sight of what I learned in that time, in that grace conversion. It's it's radically shifted my life, you know, my ministry. I mean, at the time, like I said, I was traveling in ministry and it wasn't long after that I began to think about planting a church where we could maybe build a, a community of faith where we're teaching people how to live under grace, not under law. What does it look like to live under grace and to relate to one another in that way? And uh, it, uh, it changed the course of my life, changed my life. And I think that's what we see happening with Paul here in 2 Corinthians. He, he's describing that experience. To, to learn not to rely on ourselves, but in God who raised the dead. You also helping with your prayers. 
so that thanks may be given by many on behalf of the gift granted to us. Maybe some of you are on the cusp of a grace conversion. Maybe you're in the middle of it. Maybe you've had it and you're like, I get you, man. I got it. And, and my life's, that's my, I'm a one trick pony. That, that is my life's message now. And uh, I want to encourage you to continue to, you know, as uh, I think it was John Stott who said, we never move on from the gospel. We only move on in the gospel. So as you're here, a part of Redeeming Hope, whether it's online or, you know, in person, I welcome you to join the fellowship of the week, the fellowship of faith, the family of faith, as we're on this journey of growing in the grace of God together to continue to trust the Lord with all our heart and to trust in the finished work of Christ to make us who he's called us to be and to lead us where he wants us to go. That we have past grace, our sins are covered. We have present grace. We have strength for the day and we have future grace. For if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not freely give us all things? So we look forward with confidence as well. If God's already given his son, then he'll give us everything we need to complete this journey. And it's all by grace. Grace is not just the ABCs. It's the A to Z of our faith. So let's walk by laying hold of the gospel of grace daily and encouraging one another in it. So thanks for hearing my story today. Thanks for listening to the message. God bless you. And until next time, remember, Jesus is enough. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.